Hello to everybody nursing that one last drink at the end of the bar. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. It's Chris Gathered. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Before we start anything else, I want to offer up a uh, retraction on an opinion I recently put out there on the show. Cloth diapers are great. Cloth diapers are great. And uh, I talked about cloth diapers at one point, and in the course of the episode you're about to hear, I may complain about them again. Uh, But I just want to say they're awesome, and my baby has adapted well to them. My wife heard me kind of making some jokes, inventing some frustration with cloth diapers, and she said, you know, they are great for the environment, and that's why we're doing it. And... They've gotten better. Our baby has gotten used to them more and more over time. Why are you going on your podcast 100,000 people listen to and telling them not to use cloth diapers and that is wrong of me? They are very simple to use. My baby now sleeps for hours at a time in them. And uh, and cloth diapers are awesome. And the environment is awesome. And we have to take care of it. And climate change is very real. And sorry that I slammed cloth diapers. You should go use them. They're awesome. Okay. It's very interesting that Time it worked out where I offered that retraction this week. Let me get into it. This week's caller is amazing. This week's caller is a bartender. And it starts out with some stories that are um, sort of the surface level, you know, the, the sort of like when when I hear, hear that and I start getting a little manic and going, oh, tell me about this aspect of bartending and that aspect. And then as things get further along, it gets more and more real. And we realize that this caller, probably as much as any caller we've ever had, is a fighter. This caller had a lot to deal with growing up, continues to have a lot to deal with along the way, and yet just keeps persevering, finding a way, taking care of the people that she loves in her life, and and rolling with punches and surviving. It's It's a brilliant call. I will say I feel awfully guilty about it, and you'll hear why. My son, Caleb, he makes his podcasting debut in this episode. Um... I posted about this on Instagram and many of the beautiful anonymous fans who follow me were going, oh, this is going to be so amazing. It's going to be so cute. You should have him in every time. Nope. I want to apologize to the caller because it disrupted the flow of the call a number of times. Basically, here's what happened is uh, my wife, you know, when, when you got a newborn, you got it. There's, it's, it's hard to find the time to do things. And my wife wanted to get a haircut. So I said, why don't we bring Caleb to the studio? You'll feed him. He'll go down for a nap. And uh, and he'll sleep right through the call. He went down for the nap. We did another taping before this one. He slept through that one. And then he started waking up throughout this one. And uh, you'll hear. It's cute at times, but also at times it, it does stop the flow of the call. Apologize to the, the caller and the listener. But I, I want to encourage you, keep listening, because you may find it cute. You may find it adorable. And also, this caller's story is well worth enduring some of the pauses. So, uh check it out. This caller was so cool. I've been thinking about her a lot, how much she's had to deal with and how well she's done taking care of those around her. Enjoy. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Holy cow. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I am tired. I bartended last night and I should be sleeping. How are you? Nice. I'm tired too. Um, I want to warn you. I, I want to talk about everything you want to talk about, 
this is a little bit of a strange circumstance, and I'm I'm not trying to use him as a. Pro- I live in strange circumstance. Good, good. Then you'll like this. So I'm not trying to use my son as a prop in any way, but he is in the control room sleeping right now, and his cool my. My wife needed to get a, a haircut and there was no other time we could figure out. <laughs> so she, we came and strategically fed him and he's now napping. But I would say high percentage chance that this call is interrupted with me having to go change a diaper. So we'll just kind of cross that bridge when we come to it. That's great. I've got a Red Bull and a dog. So I'm as prepared as you are. Nice. Okay. Okay. So you're up late bartending. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very late. Um, there's a festival in town, so things just get weird when when stuff like that happens. How so? Um, well, the premise of bartending is just that things are already going to get weird. Um, but when a festival <laughs> like this is in town, you have a lot of people coming in already drunk. So, so that's fun. It's just like corralling a bunch of adult babies, you know? Yeah. So when people uh, when people come in from a festival, so they're traveling from out of town, they're, mm-hmm. they're messed up already. I would also imagine, I feel like when people are traveling, and especially what I've seen from festivals, because I've, I've performed at a bunch of them at this point, people kind of let themselves, it's almost like a Vegas vibe, right? Of like what happens, what happens during festival. So people are coming in and there's not many consequences to their actions in their mind because they're living this fantasy festival thing. So I would imagine people get a little, do they get a little out of control? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, heck yeah. And so it makes it a little bit precarious for us because, um, like, in the state that I live in, if someone comes in and they're drunk, even if I don't serve them, just walking into my bar, they're my responsibility. So it's a little weird because, uh, like, adults don't like to be babysat either, especially when they're drunk. So it's this weird, like, balancing act of trying to not insult people while still cutting them off and letting them, like, maintain their dignity mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it's an embarrassing thing. So it's just, it's a balance. Um, but, like, I love bartending, so it's a lot of fun for me. Um, and bartending is a lot, like, you're just acting with every person you see sometimes. So it, it, keeps, it keeps me on my toes for sure. So let me know, uh, give me some, let's have some examples of some behavior that you ran into just last night. You say these festival people get weird. What's some of the stuff you've been seeing? Even just last night, let's tell me, I want to know what it's like to be a bartender. And I want to start with this shift you just had. Well, let's see. Uh, I had one woman, she's a regular and I love her bits, but her, her boyfriend had left. And she smoked a cigarette. She's not supposed to be smoking. He came back unexpectedly. And so this chick from the festival was like, hey, you probably should have an excuse to smell like cigarette smoke. And just started making out with her right there at the bar, which was totally fine. But, like, there's a lot of other ways that we could have dealt with the smell that would have been maybe a little bit more believable than making out with a complete stranger. So I've got that going on on one side. On the other side, I have a woman begging me to use my cell phone so that she can contact her friend in Russia which I'm already like, there's some serious red flags coming up here. We're not going to contact people in Russia on my phone. Can I get you anything? So I, yeah. So I talked to her and I'm like, you know, I probably shouldn't be serving you. I'm going to get you a water. 
and she gets like full on offended. She asks me if I want to go outside and fight her. And I'm like, no, I, I don't think that's the appropriate way to deal with this either. And then in the back, I've got a bunch of guys like trying to take off their shirts and dance on the pool tables. And so I'm like, this is just, this is getting a little crazy for me. I'm going to need to call security. So, so you, that, that, that was like a, a 10 minute period. So you do have security though. You, you got bouncers there. You got people ready to come help you out. Heck yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great bar. Of all the places I've worked, um, and I've worked in places, this is the best, and I, I love it. It's it's really great. So we've got people get, taking their shirts off and dancing on the pool table, which, let's be honest, that's going to mess up the surface of the pool table. You can't have that. Yeah, exactly. It's like, let's have some respect here for the people that are coming after yeah. you. Come on. You got, a, yeah. you got someone who's trying to use your phone to contact Russia, which in... Uh, you know, I, I love all people. And yeah, just in modern times, you maybe have to be a little bit careful about your technology linking up with Russia. You've got some... Yeah, exactly you've got, what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And then you got a situation where someone's trying to mask the smell of cigarette smoke from her boyfriend. And the way... I'm shocked because it seems like making out with someone else would be just as or more uh, dangerous to a relationship than smoking a cigarette. Than smoking a cigarette? Yeah, those were my thoughts too, but but I guess I don't think the outside logic works inside of a bar in these trying times. Um, yeah, yeah. So that that's a pretty when you say it like that, you make it sound a little crazier. Now, on a scale of a scale of one to ten, being one being that's not crazy at all versus ten, that's the craziest night I've ever had in a bar. Where does a night like that rank? Oh gosh, it falls eh, probably on like a a six, six or a seven. It's not too crazy. Um, I mean, it is. It's more of the it's all it's all of the insanity of working in a bar at once. Um, but it's not. No, maybe maybe like a seven or an eight actually. Now that I'm kind of okay. ranking, okay. ranking the craziness. So up yeah. there, a yeah. lot to handle, a lot of balls to keep in the air. Yeah, it's a lot of balls to keep in the air, especially since I was the only bartender there at that time. Now, how would you describe this bar? Is it a dive bar, college bar? Is is it a dance club type? What are, how would you describe it? It's a dive bar, and the way that it's described is an Irish surf pub. Um, it's Irish surf uh, club? It's an Irish surf pub. Pub, okay. Yep. So we always have one TV with surfing on. Um, I live on the central coast of California, and there's a lot of surfing here. So um, we've always got a surfing movie on. Uh, our dance floor is a big shamrock. Um, so it's a really interesting vibe. We have <laughs> a bunch of beers on tap, over 40. And then we also have, do you know what AMFs are? No, talk to me about this. All right. Sorry, Sally. An AMF is an audience motherfucker. So it's got vodka, gin, tequila, blue carousel, sour. So we've tap. We've also got purple hooters on tap, and purple, margaritas purple and hooters. kamikazes. Yeah, it's a it's a sour grape drink that's real popular with the young kids. So it's a pretty high volume bar for mixed drinks to the point where we've got them on tap. So this is, listen, I'm not a drinker. I haven't been in, geez, 18 years now. An adult, a human life from birth to adulthood is the last time I had a drink. So I don't know much of what you're saying, but this sounds like a bar where people are going there to get rocked. That's that's what you're 
Oh, for sure. And I will say, too, I would have to imagine there's not many Irish surf bars in the world. So there may be a bunch of California residents who now know the exact bar that you work at. Oh, hell yeah. Now, is this just a blending of California surf culture and an Irish bar? Or is there an Irish surf scene? I don't know, because it is an island and there are a lot of coasts. Are you is this a particular oh. Irish type of surfing that I don't quite know about, or is it more no, we like no. surfing and also Irish bars are the best bars, so let's mash those things up? It's the second one for sure. I mean, it's a dive bar and it's really not that well thought out. The owner was just like, "I'm Irish and I like surfing, so let's watch surfing movies and drink Guinness all day." And that, that I think that's where the end of the discussion went. But um, it's more of that, and then. It's also been around for a long time, and so it has a really established culture of surfers that come in and stuff like that. Um, uh-huh. it's, it's a really great bar. It's like it's like a home to me in a weird way. Um, like last night, I just hung out after work because sometimes you just want to hang out at somewhere that feels comfortable. Now, there's a lot of surfers that come in. Talk to me about this because surfing, very cool culture. But I've always heard, and maybe this is just a relic from, from the 80s, but surfers can also be a territorial group of people, and there can be some uh, some fisticuffs if you mess with a surfer. Uh, not really in my experience. Okay. And I've been surfing since I was um, a little girl. Uh, part of my family is Hawaiian, and so it's a pretty um, it's a pretty big part of how our family would connect. I have five brothers, so I always surfed with them. I think in my experience. Um, what surfers get mostly upset about is respecting the ocean um, and respecting the areas that you're um, going to surf on. It's just to leave everything better than you went. But I could be really fortunate and just be dealing with super chill surfers. Because, <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of drunk surfers, which are happy. And then I live in a great part of California. So maybe yeah. we're just a little happier than most. <laughs> well, I've always heard about that whole like locals only vibe where it's like, if we have a surf spot and we don't know you, you better stay out of here. But maybe that's a relic of the past. I think it might be, because um, I'm new to this area. I, I've been moving around a lot, and I just kind of stopped here for the last few years. And in my experience, it's been really easy. Granted, I'm a bartender, and before this, I managed a head shop. Um, so, okay, again, okay. I'm dealing a lot with people's vices, so maybe people are more inclined to like me. But even before then, I've always noticed that as long as you come somewhere respectfully um, and respect the area, respect the people already there, you should be okay. And if not, then you don't want to surf there anyway. Fair, fair. Okay, so bartending. You said last night yeah. somewhere between six, seven, and eight. I have to ask, what's the, uh, what's the one where it got cranked up to 11? What's the night that you can't that believe one, you saw? Um, so, so this one, it, it was totally out of my bar's control for one. Um, in the town that I'm in, we're in a lot of towns in California right now and other places that I've lived, we're experiencing a lot of crime, um, especially violent crime. And I was bartending alone on a Sunday. The Sundays are always weird without fail. Security there? When you say alone, security still there or just only bartending? No. It's just little old me. Oh, um, totally for reference, I'm five foot five, uh, not very big. Um, so I'm totally alone. I've got a group of about 20 guys and then a group of about 15 more walk in the back door. I'm on the other side of the bar. Um, 
which when you're behind the bar, you've got a lot more control of the situation. When you're not behind the bar, you're out in the open. So I'm, I'm out from behind the bar. I'm wiping down tables and I, I hear kind of something breaking out with the guys that had walked in the back door. Um, so I turn and in the time that it took me to turn, there's two guys that are like six foot tall that are starting to fight. And then before I know it, I'm, I'm hit with a bottle on my oh, arm no. and then I see a knife on the table. No. Um, I grabbed the knife and I ran behind the bar and in the span of like a minute, my bar is torn apart. They're breaking pool sticks. People are pulling out knives. It's a full on gang fight with a bunch of dudes. So luckily I had a friend there that was having a drink with me. Uh, her, she's great. She's been a great friend to me here. Um, she goes to the front. I go to the back door and we just basically start screaming that the police are on the way. We get the people outside. We lock, we lock the doors. We lock like my three customers that weren't involved in the fight in and we wait for the police. Um, I called my manager. He got there before the police. He's a great guy. And then we waited, but the aftermath, there was just blood everywhere. There was glass everywhere. They broke a bench. They took our doorstop and we're hitting each other with it. It was, that was my, it's up to 11 story. And who were these dudes? Who was this crew? Were they like, you know, not trying to, uh, they were, were they like bikers? Like not trying to paint all bikers with a bad breath, but the one percenter types? Like who, who was this gang? <laughs> uh, they were, honestly, I don't know enough about gang culture to say, but, um, they were just two rival gang members. And I guess that recently a couple of higher up guys had been released. And so they were having turf wars. And so the guys that were there all day had been posting online a lot about their whereabouts. And the other, um, the other gang saw that and came in and decided that they were going to mess, mess them up. And so, <laughs> so it totally happened. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. So these guys are gang members and you don't know that they're on Instagram and they're putting like, hashtag, we're at this bar. We dare you to come mess with us. Like, how ridiculous does that sound? But yes, it's like, I get that you guys are very violent gang members, but is Instagram really the way that you want to get a hold of your rivals? And they're tagging the location. They're tagging the location. Exactly. You're back here just trying to sling uh, purple people eaters, whatever you call them. And the purple hooters. The purple hooters. My apologies. No disrespect. And now we got (laughs) blood and knives. Wow. That's terrifying. Yes. And do you it sh- was terrifying. Um, do you shut down? You said that was a day shift, right? Well, so that so that was a day shift, but my day shifts are usually like 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. Yeah. Um, so my days aren't, aren't the same as other people's. But yeah, it was. Um, oh, gosh, that probably happened, uh, I want to say 8.30 p.m. Or no, maybe 7. It didn't happen at 7. It happened pretty early. So, so still then, yeah, dinner time for a lot of people. You shut down. So that night you're closed. Oh, yeah. Because there was just, we had to, there was a lot of blood. So we yeah. had to clean up. And that's totally out of normal, out of the norm for this bar. Um, it's just, it's kind of where, where our little town is at right now. So it wasn't my bar's fault. Um, but yeah, that was one of, one of the crazy things. So you, do you see that often where the town the direction the town's headed, be it culturally, economically, um, kind of the the way the winds are blowing in the town overall, being a bartender, you kind of 
feel that on the front lines because there's regular people coming in and letting their guard down, having some drinks, venting. You kind of get a sense of the yeah. culture of the place and the direction it's gone. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, I feel that, especially bartending. Um, but at the same time, I know it sounds crazy after that last story I just told you, but it is a really good town that I've lived in, that I'm living in right now. I've lived in a lot of places, and this one, it's not too bad. But bartending definitely makes you a little more aware of what's going on in your town. But overall, I still feel safe here, and I really like it. I've definitely lived in worse places. Yeah. And how long have you been a bartender? Uh, about two years. Um, about two years. years. I, yeah, I, I love it. And you've already had a knife fight. Two years in, and you've had your first knife fight. I actually carry a knife on my belt at all times now because I am the most unlucky person in the world, and I've had some incidents. And so um, people say that I look like a mix of Moana and... What's that Angelina Jolie movie? I can't think Tomb of it. Raider? But I've always got a nice... Yeah, yeah, her. I get that a lot, yeah. Moana like, and Moana Tomb, Tomb Raider. Yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah, it's a funny mix, but I'm going to take it. <laughs> and you walk around town with a knife. How large is the knife that you always have on you? It's a good size, Chris. It's a good size. <laughs> a good size knife. <laughs> and, and have you... Okay, I have not used it, if that's what you're going to ask. And you, technically, have, it's a fruit peeler. A fruit peeler. So you carry a fruit peeler. Yeah, whenever I can't you go. carry weapons. And are you trained in it? Have you gone and trained, taking mm. classes on how to brandish this knife? No, sorry, Bob. But I've no, still got it. I have to say, this is a topic that I think is more serious than a no, sorry, Bob would indicate. That yeah, when we're talking you know. about <laughs> your need to carry a knife at all times and... Uh, that we may need a little more seriousness yes. than no sorry, Bob. Now I'm going to tell you something. Usually my anxiety oh, would tell me that sooner, but not in this case. <laughs> wow. Well, listen, we're going to pause real quick um, because my baby is starting to fuss. So I'm going to bring him into this room with me. I'm going to figure it out. I do apologize. We're going to pause the clock while we deal with this. We're going to see what happens. because That's a- okay. I'll put my knife down while you get your baby. Yes, please. Put your knives down. Yeah. I think this is going to be the perfect place for our first commercial break. I'm going to go deal with the baby. There is a large percentage chance that I'm going to change him and he's going to be awake and I'm going to have to be sitting here cradling a baby for the rest of our call. Pardon me one moment. We're going to pause we the call. Perfect. Oh, boy. Here we go, Jack. Okay. It's time to return to our call. This is going to be perhaps my greatest challenge as the host of this show ever. The kid is still sleeping, but he's fussing. Oh, nope. Okay. Oh, we're going to we change go. this boy. We're going to change this boy really good. I am so sorry. Don't worry about it. Okay, so as I change my beautiful son, tell me more about knife fights. Tell me more. About- <laughs> well, that's, that's really all I have for knife fights. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Okay. Yep. Yeah. I sort of raised a kid, so I understand the struggle. Really? In what world did you almost raise a kid? Well, I did raise a kid, but not my own kid. I raised my brother. You did? How much older are you than your brother? Uh, Four years older. (laughs) Four years older and you raised him. That's 
It sounds like a lot of responsibility. Yeah, yeah that's why it's a sort of. Um, it definitely came later, but there, yeah, there was a lot. So, yeah, he's a good kid. Yeah. I have another question about bartending, if that's okay. I would love that. Okay. What is the most, like, we talked about the violence. That's a very sensational story, but that doesn't happen every day. Day-to-day no. level, what's the thing you got to look out for the most? Is it, like, what's the big concern? Because a bartender, it's, here's the thing that I'm really fascinated by, is a bartender is the person who's giving you your drinks, but you're also kind of a community hub. And like you said, you're responsible for everyone. So where's that responsibility show up most? Is it, is it watching out for people who aren't going to drive home drunk? Is it making sure there aren't guys slipping roofies into people's drinks? Like, what is the frontline thing where you're like, this is my number one responsibility as sort of this community frontline member? Um, I would say it's a mix between making sure that people don't drive home um, when they're intoxicated. That's obviously something that we're always on the lookout for. Um, we have a policy at my bar where if you leave your car behind, um, we'll pay for your cab there and then we'll pay for your cab back to the bar in the morning to come get your car. Oh, you'll do both. Um, so it's a hard policy to argue with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We do both because we're just, you know, it's, it's a dangerous thing. The second one would be absolutely looking out for any sign of sex trafficking, um, or predatory behavior. Um, we have the angel shot program, um, which is if a woman orders a certain kind of shot, um, that's the code. Word. I automatically know exactly. I automatically know that she's in danger. So that's always something that I'm looking out for. Um, and is especially, that, Oh, sorry to interrupt. Especially what? No, no, no. Go ahead. I was um, say, well, is especially it, oh, since, you go, you go. Um, just since I've, I've seen it happen before and it's happened to me before. And so it's just something that we try to be very, very vigilant about. Um, and then, in our town, our bar is known for not putting up with that, so we honestly don't get a lot of that in there. And do you post that info in the women's room? Isn't that kind of the traditional methodology to spread word on on, on how women can access this info if they need it? Yep, it's in the women's room. Um, so it's, um, it's something that just the women in the bar know, and so they know that that's always a fallback on. Um, and then we, I mean, our bouncers, um, everyone knows our bouncers pretty well. They know us pretty well. So if there's ever an issue, uh, someone can just, you know, come back and grab one of us and we'll handle whatever they need help with. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty open policy. Now when someone, okay, I don't want to dwell on the dark side of stuff, but it's just so interesting. When someone comes up and orders that shot, I would imagine sometimes they're probably with these guys. So do you have to kind of become an yeah. actor and keep a, keep a game face on? Cause I would imagine on the, on the inside, immediately there's some, I mean, there must be a sense of like turmoil and panic and all these emotions where you're like, this could mean anything. This could mean this girl's getting hit on in an uncomfortable way. This could mean this person's scared they're going to get physically or, or otherwise assaulted. Like you have, what's the, what's the steps there? You got to keep that poker face on and just get to work somehow. Yeah, I've only had it happen once, um, but there's a few different kinds. So if someone orders the one kind, uh, we'll go one, two, and three. The first one is just someone is there with a date or a person they just met and it's going bad, and they want that person to be politely asked to leave and come back another time. So that's one option. Um, either the girl can be walked to her car or the guy can be walked to his car. It's really up to her. We try to 
leave it up to the women. The second one is there, she's in a violent situation and she needs immediate help and the police to be called. Um, and those are basically the two that we work with. I've only gotten the first one where a girl was uncomfortable by like a Tinder date or something. And we just told him, Hey man, you gotta go come back tomorrow. We'll buy you a drink or something. Wow. I'm so sorry that you're hearing the cries of my child as you explain this tense situation. <laughs> no. <laughs> we got a little... No, don't worry about it. Hey, Harry, can I ask you for a very awkward favor? I got a little breast milk in the fridge out in the lobby. <laughs> anyway, Harry, you'll see it's in one of those thermal bags up near the almond milk, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> so that must be something that you thank God for, that you've only had to deal with the first one. Because I would imagine that you dread that second one, where it's like... I would have to imagine for bartending, because you don't think of this when you're in a bar. A bar, you are you walk in as a patron, you're festive, you're having fun. And as a bartender, you're praying that that's how every night goes, that you're the facilitator of that fun. But you might one day run into a situation where someone sends you a secret code that's like, hey, if this guy manages to get me to leave, I might get beaten up. And then there's a ticking clock where you're strategizing, how do I make sure that doesn't happen? That's got to be pretty yeah, scary. That's a scary level of responsibility. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it is. Um, but again, I've, I've been kind of on both sides of the bar. And so it's something that it just feels like, I don't know. Uh, it, it's not as scary. It's just once that happens and you see that there's a woman or any person in danger, um, it's just play it cool, keep calm and, and help her however you can. Um, less fear and just more of, I don't know, feeling that connection of, I, I know how you're feeling, but we're going to get through this, you know? Yeah, it's a lot for bartending. And now you said something very interesting to me. You said that the number one concern is drunk driving. I was not expecting you to say number two was actually sex trafficking, which means to me, like people being forced into prostitution situations or pimps working out of your bar is that is that like an under do do people of that world post up in bars very often they do but i've never seen it in our bar so it doesn't happen in our bar but when you first walk into our bar and then in the women's room we have the hotlines for sex trafficking because it is a common thing for um, bars to be a sex trafficking hub even though we personally don't experience it um and we're pretty pretty vigilant about if someone's new um trying to, if the guy's in the bathroom, just trying to strike up a conversation that fits a woman that we've never seen before. But we've never had that issue. But since it is so common in bars, it's something that um, we're to, told to always be vigilant about and look out for because we never want that, that to fall through the cracks. Yeah, that is intense. I had no idea. It would never occur to me that people in, I mean, I guess it does make sense as I think about it now because, you know, it's not uncommon um I know that it's not uncommon for like drug dealers to post up in bars. So I guess if it's like sort of once, once a bar becomes a place that the black market knows that it might lend itself to their people turning a blind eye, that they might try to post up there. I never thought of that. Yes. And that's why we have a, a very strict no policy about drugs in our bar. We don't allow any sort of drugs, any sketchy things going on in the bathroom. Because like you said, once you kind of open yourself up to that underside, then people flock there. So we just try to be very vigilant and that really prevents, um, prevents all that from happening. But yeah, after drunk driving, it's mostly just, just looking out for women and trying to make sure that women are having a safe and 
fun time uh, and that they know that they're supported while they're at our bar. And now with the drunk driving, you've got the, here's something that I imagine is the nightmare. You've got a policy that is a very incredible one. We'll get you a lift home. We'll get you a lift back. You, there's no world in which you can justify drunk driving. And I bet you still get people that are like, nah, F you, I'm getting at it. I would imagine you still have people who are trying to get in the car and it must be infuriating. It is so frustrating because like you said, we have this insane policy Usually, if you take your car back the next day, if we're open, we'll buy you a drink just to be like, good job. Here's a drink if you want one. Bring it back the next time you're here. Here's your drink ticket. We'll see you next time, you know? <laughs> so and you, so it's like we're... <laughs> so now people listening, if people know what this bar is, they're actually incentivized to go get a free ride home. back. They, they now know that they will get a free drink. If you show up, they don't even, they just have to claim to be too drunk to drive and they can actually get a free drink. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. If anyone... Like it's a it's a no questions asked policy. Uh, it could be abused, but it's not. Um, but it just it works. Um, but there, believe it or not, it's not used as often as we'd like. Um, people are still very stubborn. They take um, people take being cut off and being told, "Hey man, do you want to call a cab?" Uh, very very personally. Um, you know, especially like the macho type dudes, they're like, I'm not drunk. You don't know me. So whatever. Um, but it's a, it's a very happy policy and it's not used enough. But if someone, if we recognize that someone is drunk and they're refusing that, then we immediately just call the police. Um, because there's a lot of responsibility on the bar if they drive out of our bar and, um, and we don't report it. I bet. Okay. We've looked at the dark side and I'm sure we'll have more of that. I want something that could be instructional for our listeners. A gift I'm going to give to our listeners. I don't even drink, and I'm about to help every listener out. There's a culture in bars that if you are a good customer, that a bartender might give you what's called a buyback, which is that you get a free drink. Part of your uh-huh. evening. What can people do to make sure they're getting these buybacks and increase their chances of getting them? Uh, come in regularly. <laughs> so that's for the regulars first and foremost. It's for the regulars, first and foremost. Um, It's that. And then usually, like last night when I had that situation with the girl that wanted to call Russia, she was being kind of a tool. Um, And I had a a gentleman step up and help me get her outside to her friend. And if someone sees something happening and helps um, de-escalate the situation, I'll usually buy them a beer, um, you know, just to say thank you for for having my back or helping out. Um, Stuff like that. But first and foremost, be a regular I really love my regulars. They're they're the only family I have, so be a regular. Now that's interesting. You said they're the only (laughs) family you have, but you've also said you come from a large family. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I have three big bro. I had three big brothers. Um, My oldest brother passed. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. My second oldest brother. Thank you so much. It was it was a difficult thing. Um, My second oldest brother. He. We're not in contact. And my third oldest, we're in contact, but we grew up apart. My my brother that I raised, we're very close, but he's in the Marines right now. Um, so I haven't seen him in a bit. My youngest brother, um, he was born right before my mom passed away. Um, so there's uh, a, lot, a lot of family politics there. Um, so I, I have, and then my dad I'm not in contact with. So I, I have my brother and I have my husband, but it's, you know. So you've had a little bit of a rough go of it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's been it's been hard. Um, yeah, I lost my mom when I was fourteen. She was killed when I was fourteen. So um, me and my brother are really close. It was just us for a while. Oh no, that's I'm really I'm so yeah. sorry. And you say she was killed. Like like I I don't want to dwell on anything you're not comfortable with. But she was she was murdered. She was murdered. Um, I'm totally comfortable talking with it. It happened um, about ten years ago. She was murdered by my stepfather, actually. Oh so my it was, god! It was, yeah, yeah. He was. He wasn't a great person. Um, so, I think that, just, that. I think everyone listening think, will agree that that is the understatement of the century. Yes. Yes, I agree. <laughs> he was an awful person. We'll say. Um, yeah, it was just. It it was a lot, but. He was just an abusive person, and I'm trying my best to break those those cycles in my family. Yeah, that's uh, that'll that as far as 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 far as having family relationships fray, I would imagine that something really traumatic and brutal like that will it would accelerate accelerate that. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it was it was just. Um, he had he had abused her for a long time. He had abused us for a long time, um, and it was when I found out that she had passed away. I I knew um, before I was told, but it was still shocking um, because I expected for it to be an, an overdose. But so it was just it was it was a lot. Um, so on on the one hand, I'll always miss my mom, and on the other hand, I'm really thankful for the relationship that I have with my brother um, because of the circumstances that we were raised under. Um, so I try to just look at it that way. Yeah. That's uh I did not, when we were telling our funny stories about bartending, <laughs> I did not anticipate for it to take this turn. <laughs> I'm admit. sorry. No, no <laughs> apologies. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, zero <laughs> apologies. Zero apologies. I mean, as long as you're comfortable talking, I'm co- very comfortable listening. That's, I feel like that's my main job. Yeah. To listen, but wow, but oh, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and how old are you now? Of a lifetime. Uh, I just turned twenty-five in May. Um, so my mom passed away when I was fourteen. So she passed away um, in December, right before Christmas. Um, so it's been a while. My brother is, like I said, four years younger than me. Um, so he was nine, or just turned ten when it happened. So. You know, and then my youngest brother was six months old um, oh when she god. when she passed. Oh my god, that's horrible! That's horrible. Yeah, that is really, really bad. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it it just yeah, losing losing someone like that is difficult. But she was she she was a great person, and I feel her echoes all all around me. And that means you're what a freshman, maybe sophomore in high school. Do you? Yeah. Do you get to keep going to the same school? Or are you put into foster care of some sort? Do you have to move with family? Do you wind up going to college? Like, how? Do, I, I mean, obvious. Obviously, this throws your whole life upside down. But in terms of like well, comparing your path to the traditional path that a fourteen-year-old might have walked from that point, how did it affect things? Well, um, so so my mom passed. And I had already been out of school and working a lot. Um, my mom, she was an opiate addict, so there was a lot going on. So I had already cut back on going to school to work um, and try to provide to my brother. 
And then once she passed, um, my dad, he, he became more involved in our lives. And then, um, we had a house fire and I lost all my belongings and my dad took that as his cue to, to leave. So my dad, um, he took when, when you're a minor and your parent passed away, you get social security checks. So my dad took those social security checks and lived off of them and left me and my brother. So then I, I dropped out of, out of school and started cleaning houses and working nights, um, and days, um, and trying to put them through school and keep a roof over our head. Um, and then that's, that's pretty much what happened. Uh, when I was 18, my dad came back into our lives. Um, so I was able to get my GED. Um, but in the t- at the time I was in a, a bad relationship. So, um, it, things stayed chaotic for a little while after that. I feel like my baby is feeling very heartbroken at the story he's hearing. I feel like even he is like, man, this is a lot, dad. So, no, 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 you do not have to apologize. I mean, this is an, you're telling the tale of an epic childhood. Did you, you're surrounded by drugs, abuse, eventual murder, and abandonment. I mean, that could not, that could not be a worse combo of things. And yet we're talking right now, and I have to say, you sound, I mean, you're talking about your job. You've got a good sense of humor. You're sitting here telling me that you're comfortable talking about all of it. Would you say that you've landed as like a stable, well-adjusted person? Because you sound like one. Or are you are you really good at, at kind of rolling with the punches and, and putting that out there? Do you know, um, I'm going to be completely honest. When So up until my brother enrolled in the Marine Corps, my life had been very much um, surrounded by caring for him. Um, and so I, it was just that. It was that and it was survival. Um, trying to find out how I was going to feed him, how I was going to clothe him. You know, it was just like him, 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 him. And it was super normal for me because it's all I had known. Um, I feel like now that my life has slowed down, slowed down and I'm in a stable place. I'm not wondering where my next meal is going to come from. I'm financially stable for the most part. But now um, I'm being forced to deal with the trauma that happened to me. And so um, it's, it's, it's a work in progress, I think. Um, and so for the first time in my life, I feel for sure depressed and my anxiety is getting pretty bad. And it's just kind of, I'm in a place where I have no idea what to do next, you know? So, yeah. Well, that's brutal. And I I will just say on my end, it sounds like, and I bet I'm not the only one thinking this, if there's anybody, if there's anybody who deserves happiness, it's you after all that. And I'm really rooting for you. And I hope that you manage to find that help. Are there, like when, when you wound up on Social Security as a kid, do these circumstances, are there resources that you can still tap into? Like is anything along those lines provided? No, no. Unfortunately, my dad is very crafty and tapped those resources very, very well. Um, he, he did everything from use 
those social security benefits and the money that my mom put away. My mom put apparently a large amount of money away for us. He used all that as well as took out credit cards in me and my brother's name when we were minors. So he, he, he ensured that there would be nothing left. Um, so no, there's nothing like that to help. Wow. So he, yeah, he wrecked your credit. He, this is, <laughs> yeah. this... I know it sounds, I know it, it's pretty, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's epic. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. It's epic. That's, I mean, I, I will say though, hearing about how you stepped up for your brother, it's really beautiful. And that's no joke. I just want to say again, this caller had to deal with too much, man. Every new revelation breaks my heart a little more. And I need to just, I would imagine, take a break so we can all just process that. Be thankful for what we got. Thanks again to all of our advertisers. Now, let's get back to the phone call. Hearing about how you stepped up for your brother, it's really beautiful. And that's no joke. Thanks. That's no Thanks, joke. Man. We have we have a great relationship. He's he's my best friend. Um he yeah, he's he's the best. Um he's awesome. So that's like that's the silver lining that I have is that he's he's my best friend. Um you know, when he was a crazy teenager and I was also a teenager, um, it got a little tough raising him. Um Yeah, I can imagine. But, yeah. A teenager raising a teenager, it was like the blind leading the blind, leading the blind. And then I also had a boyfriend at the time that was abusive, so it was just all these things going on. But now, looking back on it, um, we're so much closer, and I just give my best buddy, you know. So, of course, I wouldn't want all those things to happen, but the one thing that I can take from it is that I have such a strong bond with him, and he'll always be my baby. And did you feel like when he entered the Marines that you were able to rest easy because he had some sense of structure and you knew he was in a place where he'd be cared for and okay? Was that the weight off the shoulders or was it just that he grew up and was clearly able to handle things on his own now? Oh, gosh. Um, You know, those three months of him being in boot camp were, believe it or not, one of the roughest three months of my life. Um, It was... I'm so sorry to distract you with the, with the cries of a child. This is a particularly tough call to have this happening. I have to say, if this had just stayed funny bartender stories, man, we could keep doing bits about the kid. But in light of everything you're talking about, there's no way I can make any any references except to say I am very, very sorry that baby Cal is here right now and disrupting. Don't be. At least he doesn't have a poopy diaper anymore. Yeah. That's all we can ask for in life. That's true. And he's looking at his caterpillar yes. toy, which usually chills him out greatly. Now you're That's telling good. me. My caterpillar toy does not chill <laughs> me out. I, I don't have one. <laughs> now you're telling me boot camp. Very hard. You're worried about your little brother. I, I would have to imagine this is an incredibly intense bond that you have with your brother. Yeah, it was the first time that we were apart for longer than a week. Um, so it was three months of only letters and it was awful. Um, but I'm proud of him and he has his own life and I would have never been able to provide the benefits that the military can provide him. So 
it, it balances out in that way. And I'm proud to see what he's doing now. But I would never relive that experience of him going through boot camp. Now, let's talk about, do bartenders get benefits? Like, are there any bars that'll give you health insurance? Um, no. So, well, I mean, there are some. My bar personally doesn't, but we get a lot of other benefits. And then um, I'm married, so my husband has benefits through his job. Oh, so good. that balances out for us. That's yeah. great. So you you do, if you, just thinking about how you said your anxiety and depression's catching up finally, you do have some resources if you want to look into your husband's insurance. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We have insurance. Um, I recently started seeing a therapist. Um, but good, she, good, good. How is it going? It was going really well until she decided to leave and start her own business. Come <laughs> so. on. What do I got to do to have you catch a, break? catch a break? Man. I want you to tell a story that ends with you being like, yeah, and then the good luck ball bounced my way. I want you to win the goddamn lottery. Haven't had it happen yet. Uh, I have a really great dog. She's awesome. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's yeah, I something, I guess. How'd you meet it's your husband? Something. Yeah, no. How, how'd you meet your husband? Uh, and hopefully, I would have to, I'm really hoping your husband is a guy who breaks the cycle of some of the stuff you've seen in your past. He is wonderful. So I met my husband, um... When, like I said, when I was younger, I was with a, a man who was very physically abusive. Um, and so when that relationship ended, it ended with me afraid that he was going to kill me. Um, so Oof. there was that cycle of abuse and I got out of there and I realized I, I cannot, I, I can't, I can't do this again. So I gave myself time. Well, eventually my best friend and my brother said, look, it's getting a little sad staying in your room a lot. You're only working. You're not going out. Maybe you should think about dating. So what I did was I went on OkCupid and I found kind of the first guy that would, that would pick me up that seemed okay. And, and he came to my house and they said, oh, what a nice man this is. And I said, yeah, I met him online. I'll be back in a couple of hours. And I thought that would be the end of it. I'd go on a crappy date. They'd leave me alone. The date went awful. We went to Chipotle. He spilled <laughs> burrito all over his shirt. I said, I'm never seeing this guy again. And I tried my hardest, I tried my hardest to ghost him, but he would not take the hint. So I invited him back to my house and that went well. Um, the second time he came over my best friend was like, you went on a date, really? I feel like you're still lying to me. So I said, hey man, I'm actually not ghosting you. Come over really quick. My best friend wants to meet you. He came over, he was wonderful and that was that. But it was not supposed to end in marriage. He was living in another state. We both agreed it would just be something like a fling, and it just kept evolving. The Chipotle guy is the guy you married. I thought that was the precursor to you meeting the guy you eventually married. You know, you'd think, but I I like my, my standards low and my <laughs> Chipotle with extra avocado. <laughs> you do. You ordered the guac. You saw if you could get him to pony up for the guac as the first test of this guy's integrity. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to see you again. Let's get extra guac. You did. You went extra guac. And then he spills his burrito oh, all yeah. over his shirt like a jerk. And now you're married to him. Oh, it was so bad. And, and now I'm married to him, and I have to watch him spill food all over himself all the time. And is he, is he a good dude? Does he treat you right? He is the most gentle, loving human being I have ever known. Um, when we met, I was 19, and still in that period where I was like, maybe I was 20. I don't remember how old I was, but I was still going 
I don't know how I'm going to take care of my brother. And he stepped in and has taken my brother as his own as well. Really? He stepped up and helped oh, yeah. out with your brother too. And your when your brother saw oh, you, yeah. so your brother has to see you fall into an abusive relationship. He must be going. What are you doing? We've seen this before. Come on, it must be scaring the oh, shit out absolutely. of him. So this guy yeah, steps yeah, up he and really. That's amazing. I really like yeah, your I, husband. I hope your husband hears this someday and knows that to hear that he's a good dude and to hear that he stepped in and helped you out. I really like him. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a yeah, good Yeah, he's dude. great. He is. He's, he's gentle and caring, and he's awesome. Um, yeah, when we were first dating, my brother was freaked out, and so we would just take my brother on dates with us. <laughs> it was like a, a family affair, like, all right, we're going to sniff this guy out and see, and it helped, and, uh, and we're here now, and him and my brother get along great. That's really great. That's yeah. really great. I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to how, hear that. How's the baby doing? The baby has milk all over his neck. The baby, I've, <laughs> nice. I've been playing with him. I've been showing him his caterpillar toy. He was laughing for a while. Now he's here. He's, he's crying, starting to scream a little bit. I can't get the milk totally warmed up. I was, for some of this call, holding a bottle of milk under my shirt to try to use my body heat. And I feel, I have to say, I feel relentlessly guilty because you are an amazing caller with an amazing story and I got this little guy over here screaming and I'm trying to do my best to be both a responsible podcast host and a responsible dad now you've got these ghosts of your past you got all these things how are you feeling about it honestly you feel like you're headed in the right direction you feel like with your husband and your job that you finally got some stability or is it are you still looking for that foundation or do you feel like you finally have it you know i felt like i had it until about six months ago and got it no more you got it no more give me just one moment because that's one of the most fascinating answers that's one of the most fascinating answers you could have possibly given i'm gonna see if a pacifier doesn't help us get to the bottom we should get that baby milk drunk i'm trying I'm trying so hard. I'll get him a cab home. <laughs> <laughs> that was so lame. <laughs> no, you kind of nailed that. You kind of nailed that. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. We're going to pause the time. You're okay, buddy. I'm in no Come rush. Here. Come to work. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> buddy, I'm talking to this nice lady who has such a good life story. And a compelling story. You don't want to let me talk. You don't want to let me talk. You don't want to have a little milk? No. Is your diaper wet again? Well, I just want to say, just in case it's uh, clear to anybody listening that there's been edits, my baby was being adorable. <laughs> First he was sleeping, and then he got adorable, and then he started melting down. But now we've got the situation under control. I want to apologize to the listeners for the chappiness. I want to apologize to the caller who's been telling us some truly vulnerable and emotionally open stuff. And uh, we... we uh, we got sidetracked a little bit, so I do apologize. No need to apologize at all. Now, you were telling me, I had been asking you if you felt like you had found a foundation after a very chaotic life. And uh, you, were, you had just said to me something very intriguing, which was you said, you know, I felt like I had it, and then the last six months I feel like I don't. So that's very concerning, and I remember exactly that that's where we left off. So I'd love to hear what that means. Um, 
Well, so I, I started therapy, got all the things out, and then my therapist left. And That's so now bullshit. I've just kind of been... That's bullshit, man. Yeah. Yeah, because I've, I've never wanted to go to therapy, and then I decided to try it, and it was going well, and then she gave me, like, a month's notice, and then she left. Um, so kind of, like, unpacked every little trauma in my life. So you churned it, <laughs> you churned it all to the surface, and then... Therapist was like, peace, yes. ghosted you like you yeah, once wanted like, to ghost your husband. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She was like, we're going to get all this out and we're going to teach you great coping mechanisms and it's going to take a while. By the way, this is my last month here. Good luck. I'm passing you off to a new person. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't work out. And so uh, all that generational trauma is now freshly at the surface. And I'm trying to find a way to work through it. Um and build a new foundation, and it's just, yeah, it's it's challenging, um, and I th- I think it'll work out in the long run. I'm just never never had it all at the surface before, but and I think I'll get there. Are you in touch with this other person that that the therapist promised on her way out the door? I saw her once, and it was just I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Um, it was, we were just going to pick off or the, uh, pick up where the other therapist left off, I think. And that was just something that I wasn't comfortable with. Yeah. I don't know this person. I had never met her before. You know, it was just, it wasn't something I wanted to deal with. And then I had also seen a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist also, um, their office, I guess, is very busy. And I had canceled an appointment because I have endometriosis and sickle cell and I had some health issues and I hadn't been able to reschedule. And so I also had to do a crash Wait a course second. getting off of my... You also have sickle cell <laughs> and endometriosis? Come on! I know, dude. I can't catch a break. I know. So I was dealing with that and then I couldn't get a hold of my psychiatrist. So I had to very quickly push myself off depression medication. And it's all just kind of blown apart in my face. No, I but, just listened to a podcast about sickle cell. The rapper from Mob Deep Prodigy had sickle cell, and it was a really well-done podcast that kind of looked at it through the lens of his friends and what they saw. I had no idea. Wow. It's it's like yeah, it's it, it's a, it's a really intriguing listen, but I also had no idea that it is you're basically you basically get these severe attacks where you you feel like your cells are on fire. That's that's what this podcast told me about sickle cell. Oh yeah. Yeah, it feels like your bones are cracking. Um, it's very, very painful. And the issue that I have is that I'm I'm not African-American. Um, and so a lot of doctors will refuse to treat me um, because they, they don't think that people that aren't African-American can get it. Um, I have a lot of island. Um, I'm Sicilian and Hawaiian and Japanese. And so that's where I get sickle, sickle cell from. Um so, but it, it's really, really hard to get treated for that. And then it's even harder because sickle cell, there's not much known about it. And honestly, the healthcare system is pretty, pretty racist. Um, and so with a disease like sickle cell or even endometriosis, which largely, if, which only affects women, there's a huge barrier of care. Um, so it's really hard to get treatment for those diseases and there's really no cure. So that's something that, of course, I've been struggling with my whole life. Um, but yeah. Now, it's a little tricky. I'll tell you, I was kind of marveling before that you described that knife fight and you sounded pretty chill about it. And I was trying to figure out <laughs> how is this person so chill about witnessing a bloody knife fight 
And now I'm realizing this is not in the top 50 concerns of your life that you you witnessed a brutal knife fight. This is not even... Oh, no. This doesn't even crack the top 50. That was a Sunday afternoon, dear Chris. (laughs) You've also got two brutal conditions. You've had a family life racked with addiction and abuse. You've had a past relationship with your own abuse. And you've had one of your closest family members murdered by another family member. How, how are you, uh, is it day by day? Do you wake up every day and say, fuck it, let's get out of bed and go make it happen? How do you do it? That, that's pretty much it. I say, fuck it, I'm going to get out of bed. We're going to do this. Um, I, I try not to drink too much. I've been drinking a little bit more lately. I garden. I garden a lot. Um, I volunteer with dogs. Um, we just recently lost our boxer, but he was in a wheelchair. He had degenerative myelopathy and, uh, helping, helping dogs is something that really, really helps me, especially I help a lot of special needs dogs in wheelchairs. So that's kind of, that's kind of my secret, just staying out in my garden, staying busy. And then on days when I can't get out of bed, now I give myself that, that option. Whereas before I never did, um, it's the first time in my life where I'm, there's a quote by Samantha from Sex and the City, and it's, I love you, but I love me more. <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to like live my life by now. I don't mean to laugh. but No, no, no. We were in such, we were in such a, like a profound moment, genuinely. And we still are. And, and I then spent, we turned to Samantha. Well, yeah. I mean, not even, not even Carrie or Charlotte. Samantha. No, Samantha. Every time, Chris. Every time. It's Samantha. It's, I'm, um, I'm laughing, but it also shows you, it also shows you that, uh, you go out and you find your inspiration where you can find it and you find your comfort where you can find it. And you don't apologize for that. I think that that quote hit you and I think that's cool. And your podcast brings a lot of that for me. Um, recently the A Sky Full of Ghosts podcast, um, the song that was the outro, I downloaded that and I listened to it a lot and it's brought me a lot of comfort um, listening to, to those two podcasts with her in that song. I'm happy to help. Happy to help. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is. It's really helpful just hearing hearing everyone. So you had said, we, you know, we kind of opened the door to all this because I legitimately thought that, oh, we're going to have funny bar stories. That's That'll be a fun... <laughs> It'll be a fun day. And then you, you the, think. <laughs> well, the way we kind of, you know, um got into your family history and the snowball ran down the hill was you had said that your regulars are the family you've got right now. You got your husband. Yeah. You got your regulars. Yep. Here's a question to because I think of it. I've never because I think because because I stopped drinking so young, I've never been a part of that bar culture. Here's a question I have. Do they know that? Do they know how much comfort and stability they're giving you? Is this a shared thing that you all know about each other or is it, is it a quiet thing for you? Uh, I think it's both. Um, I have, I have one, one guy. Um, I had an incident recently at the bar where someone followed me into the bathroom and it was obviously really traumatic having that man follow me. But one of my customers, um, I won't give out his name, but him and his girlfriend, um, they're like family to me, and they immediately stepped up and were supportive. On my birthday, they did a surprise party. Um, 
I mean, there's, I think for a lot of them, they know. And I think for the others, I think the others that don't know, I think that I'm serving that purpose for them. Um, so I think it's kind of a trade-off. Um, and in some ways it is silent, but in some ways they're definitely family and I think they know it. That's good to hear. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and like, I mean, anyone that comes into a bar every day is a little bit broken, probably. Um, they've all got their own things going on. So it's just kind of like the freaks and geeks, you know, we're all here and a little bit broken, but we're together. Well, I've always, I've always considered myself one of the broken people. And I think you're right on the money with that sentiment of, I think if you are out there and you are one of the broken people, one of the best things you can do to feel less broken, in my experience, is figure out how to help the next broken person get through the day. And I think if we all start doing yep. that to each other, that's when it becomes the island of misfit toys, where we got our own place to go, where uh, where you can let your guard down a little bit. I would have to imagine for you, oh, that, exactly. that's got to be one of the hardest things, is to let your guard down. Absolutely. And that's also why being in a bar is a little bit easier, because it is... I mean, even though these people mean so much to me, um, I can choose to not, to show as little or as much as I want. Um, and with some of them, some of my regulars know everything that I've told you in this call. Some don't, and they only know, like, my my butter persona. Um, but it's all it's all still really meaningful. It's just, when when I'm behind the bar, it's the most, one of the most powerful feelings I've had in my life, just because I control the, the atmosphere and I control how people see me. And so it is really helpful. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's great. And then it's just, it's just fun. Like one of my customers, um, he, he has these huge calves and he was in the army and he was a little bit drunk and smoking. And he turned to me and he said, you know, I've never ran a day in my life. And it was just such a weird comment. And it's <laughs> stuff like that. That just makes it so much fun. Cause you never know, like, how have you never ran a day in your life and you were in the army? So it, keep, it keeps me on my toes. It's funny. It's kind of full circle because it's like I hear you're a bartender and I go, tell me the craziest shit you've seen. One to ten. How crazy is that? But what's far <laughs> more important is to go, tell me about this sense of found family. Tell me about the way that you find human connections that feel safe. Because for thousands of years, humans have built these little hubs specifically to come and connect with each other in an environment that provides some sense of comfort. It was very, yeah, uh, absolutely, very surface level and annoying of me to go down the road I went at the beginning of the call because I like hearing so much more <laughs> that you can have a quiet moment with an army man who's never run a day in his life and allows you to just kind of have a giggle and feel a human connection. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's not annoying of you at all. It's it's what you expect from a bar, and then it's what you don't see. You know, um, I it's just it's like a home, a big weird gang fight fruit peeler home. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm glad that the bar, I'm glad that that provides all that comfort, and then if all else fails, at least you got a big ass fucking knife <laughs> that provides a sense of comfort too. I'm sure. Where do you? Does this? Oh yeah, it does. This thing's just hanging off your hip. Uh, no, I have a belt and I wear it directly above my, my rear end. Um, so I get a lot of comments of, Hey, I wasn't checking out your ass, but is that a knife over your ass? And that's where I say it's a fruit peeler. 
and usually that that shuts people right up. We have a uh, only a minute left, so I'm going to ask a weird question, and maybe we can even add another minute or two. But here's a weird question. Sure. Okay. You got you got this background that you know. You got this background that is not something that anyone would wish upon, you know, anybody. And I say that not to judge, sure. it's just I'm sure you would agree. Like, I do. Maybe we could remove even two or three things off the list of stuff you had to deal with, and it would still be way too much to ask of a 14-year-old to handle. Still way too much. Sure. Let alone all the stuff you had to handle before 14. Now you've got a husband... Now you're starting to build a network of people that give you some sense of comfort. And maybe I'm also asking, because I've had my own screaming boy in the background for portions of this call. Do you think about, do you think about starting a family of your own? Um, no, not really. Um, uh, my brother, I think, is where I got all that from. And then on the other end, I have endometriosis, so it's not a complete option. Mm. Um, so I'm taking it day by day and maybe one day, but I don't think so. I think, I think I'm, I'm pretty content where I am right now, but maybe one day. Yeah. I'm glad the door's still open a little bit. Also, if there's anything, if there's anything that tells you everything you need about to know about this call, it's that, it's that we've, we've talked for over an hour and. I didn't even really get a chance to ask about endometriosis. Like we're out of time. I've been adding time to make up for how much distraction there was. There's so much stuff going on that I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to laugh. I'm, I'm not trying to laugh at all. But oh my god! Like we, 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 a murder. A murder was like a bullet point and a very serious condition. We didn't even have time to get to because there was too much other stuff. And I have to tell you, I am. Uh, I am incredibly impressed. You know, that, I'm just incredibly you. impressed at your ability to speak to all this stuff and hold your head up. Because uh, do you know who Miss Pat is? Miss Pat, I'm not certain I do. If you listen to Joe Rogan, you might. But she has a quote, and it says, "If you can't laugh at it, it has control over you." And I think that's the most important thing that I've taken recently moving forward. You gotta laugh at it so it doesn't control you. I think that's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. And can I tell you, out of, okay, here's what we're going to end on, a very genuine sentiment for me. One thing that <laughs> you and I have both exclaimed a number of times, as I've said a number of times, like, how come you can't just catch a goddamn break? Why can't the good luck just head in your direction one time? And of course, you are the caller on the one day that my son has to be here and has a meltdown. <laughs> Meaning that in a situation where I'm going to go ahead and check, I'm going to go ahead and check right now, over 10,000 people have tried to call and this happens all the time. And then they get through and they feel so happy. And then you get the bad luck. You get the bad luck in the history of Beautiful Anonymous. You get the most bad luck version of this as well. I couldn't even give you. I did the podcast debut with your son. You did. But how the hell do you keep looking on the bright side? Tell me the secret, because if anybody doesn't need to be looking at the bright side, it's you. If anybody has earned the right to say, fuck the bright side, it's you. And yet you managed to, and you're making me feel not guilty that I managed to even ruin this experience for you. How do you do it? No. 
Uh, I garden a lot, and I, I, I take a lot of CBD, Chris. <laughs> a lot of CBD, grow plants, hang out with dogs in wheelchairs, and most importantly, yeah. your husband, sure. your brother, and the regulars who yeah. serve as your surrogate family. This was an incredible call. Sorry again about all the disruptions, but I'm so happy that uh, that you called in, and I'm, 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 I'm rooting for you really hard. I feel so lucky that I got through. I was the one in 10,000. <laughs> oh, God. I feel so bad. Okay. Have a great day. Have a great day. <laughs> you too, Chris. Have a good one. Bye. Caller, thank you so much again. I'm glad that we got that last 15 minutes or so in that we're uh, peaceful and we're able to focus because I, I have to reiterate that... Uh, that I am so sorry about the disruptions and distractions, but I am so, so thankful that I got to talk to you because uh, you really gave me a lot of perspective and you gave me a lot of thoughts on, on how to handle my own struggles and how to take a deep breath and, and look for the people in my life who can give me those small moments that help. And that is a hugely valuable lesson. I'm sending the best to you and your husband and your brother and your plants and everybody. Thank you to Jared O'Connell and Harry Nelson who today we're not just producing the show, not just engineering the show, but also babysitting a human life. Thank you for all that. Thank you to Justin Linville for all your help in all things I do. Thank you to Shellshag for the music. Got some dates coming out on the road. I'll be traveling. ChrisGeth.com is where you can find out about those. When up the show, go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. It really helps when you do. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, when you wind up with a condition that won't go away, how does that affect your life? It took me a long time to accept the fact that I was going to be dealing with this. There's a lot of denial that I was going through. I honestly didn't want to confront my situation for a long time. Mm-hmm. I would say it was probably about a year and a half or so that I just didn't tell anyone, I didn't date anyone, I, I just stayed in my lane and just tried to move on in denial but then I I realized that that wasn't making me happy and I needed to just start to accept the fact that this is life now and but it was tough because there's so much stigma with like college age guys they have like cakes that read like sorry for the STI and it's just it's become this just joke That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous.